to take that that criticism and use it as fuel, and 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 and, and instead of running from it, just run run head on into it, and then just just like you're going down the highway, you got to stop and get gas eventually. Just go after it. Look for the criticism, mm-hmm. and then sometimes there's there's going to be some legitimacy in it, and you take take what they're saying and make what you're doing better anyway. So. Hey guys, you are listening to the Glock and Doc Audio Encounter. My name is Sadie Patchen, and I'm sitting here with Dale King and Tim Glockner. Good morning, fellas. I Nailed good it. morning. Way to go. Yes, sometimes the intro takes a couple of takes, but I think I got it on uh, two this time, so breaking records. Winning. What has been going on? I feel like I haven't seen Tim in a year. So I'll tell you what's been too. going on with Tim. Yeah, let's let Tim tell what's been going on with Tim. No, let's not. <laughs> Tim has been bitching 225. Finally. He's back, he's back on the show, ladies and gentlemen. Breaking news. Yeah. Glock and Doc. Has two it. wheels going up. Good Easy to be money. back. Good, good, good to be in the big boys club. Yep. Yep. Off probation. Back in the game. So, other than um, benching 225, which I know all of our listeners are probably going to be cheering when they when they finally get the news but uh what what have you guys been up to i mean dale i saw that i mean we all actually were at the crossfit games while tim was benching tim was tim was 225 we were uh we were hobnobbing at the crossfit games we uh we went to madison for a week it was a long uh, time it was caravaned up there crew about eight folks found a sweet house um Setup shop did really well. It was cool to be able to meet a lot of customers face to face. It's cool to to talk to some gym owners, and it was, it was really cool to watch the the uh, the top of the top go at it at the game. So that was that was awesome. Yeah, and if and if you are you guys have been listening on the last two episodes of the of Glock and Doc, we've had Dave Kalina um, from Formula O two. So that was pretty cool that he got to stay with us and yep. and give us some insight on. The ups and downs of his business. Yeah, and uh, it's cool that he is now in Kroger and GNC. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. Yeah, big time. Huge. Tim? i just been chilling here in this kick-ass town, doing a little pleasure boating, looking for the next opportunity. Yeah. Uh, had a nice time at uh, Joe Toberfest. Recovered with uh, Smo too. Thank you, Dave, if you're listening. Joe Toberfest was epic. Yeah. It was pretty one, awesome. One word for Joe Toberfest. Beer, beer horn. That's beer. two. But. <laughs> Had a good time. Man. Good times. Awesome. Good times. Cool. Well, uh, you guys want to let let the listeners know what's coming up or what you got going on. I know um, we've got some events. River Days is coming up, which is big in Portsmouth. We've got Final Friday. Yep. So, so one of the one of the key reasons uh, Joe Toberfest and Final Friday is is such a big success is because of the people involved, and we're very <clears throat> fortunate 
to have the head honcho of Patties and Pints here with us, the guy who uh, I thought I was pretty insane, but uh, <laughs> you guys will quickly quickly find out that Tim Wolf is uh, is about three to five million times more insane than than I am. Um, so yeah, we're we're just we're prepping for uh, for a couple events, and and it's cool to have somebody in downtown who gets it, who understands it, and is wants to push that envelope farther than than anyone else. So we'd uh, we'd like to to formally introduce and welcome Tim Wolf to the to the podcast. Welcome, brother. Thank you. It's uh like I haven't slept in two or three days ever since we talked about this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hear guys like Andy Glockner on here. I'm thinking, why are they calling me? <laughs> the God, the good father. The good. Yeah, the good father. That's right. So, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Good. Awesome. So, um, most of you do know, but uh, for those who don't, Tim is the owner of Patties and Pints along with eFlow Companies. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do, Tim? Uh, so, we, um, so a few years back, I was, um, I was on the board of Big Sandy Superstores, and I, I had the uh, privilege of working with some of the smartest business guys in the area. And um, that's when we'll get into here in a little bit which side of the W-2 you belong on. I had to make a decision whether I wanted to stay there making a very good salary and not quite be happy or if I wanted to just go out on my own and do my own thing and make a whole lot less money but be a whole lot happier. So that's uh, that's when eFlow came about. This in 2012. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it's 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 evolved into a development company, an energy business. Um, we have commercial carpet cleaning. And then, of course, Pies and Pints is the one that's getting all the attention right now. So, so nope. b- before Big Sandy... You're uh, your side of County Board and Bread, right? Correct. Yes, yeah. I and was. Then uh, what? Uh, out of high school, I went. Out of high school, I went in the Navy. I uh, I had uh, aspirations of being a SEAL because my uncle was. Uh-huh. So um, I um, I was about six weeks into the Buds program when I fi- I make a phone call to my uncle, and uh, he basically tells me that I'm an idiot and that all I'm going to be when I get out is a rental cop <laughs> because. Obviously, back then, SEALs were nowhere near as glamorous in the private sector. This is what, mid-late 90s? 94, 95. That yeah. phone call would have been 95, probably. So, it was, this is a dry years, pretty much. Right. So, so of course, now I'm going back, and, and, and you're, you, when you're going through a program like that, you're, you don't think. You just do exactly what you're told, and if you ever wonder what the logic is, what they're telling you, then you're done. And <laughs> that's, that's the point I was at. Basically, we're jumping, off of a, um, we're jumping off of a platform into a pool with our hands and feet tied. And we'd been doing it for two or three days. and we, So you go to the bottom of the pool and you're basically surviving the water with your hands and feet tied. They've already showed you how to do it. It, it was kind of getting routine. Right. Well, then they said jump, jump backwards. So the first group was going three at a time. The first group turned around and jumped backwards in the pool. And, they, of course, they screamed, called the idiots. No, we said jump backwards. Well, they meant jump off the platform backwards. Well, that was the, that was the concrete. That was, that's a stupid. This is eight feet in the air. I don't want to jump off there. Untie me. I'm done. So that was, that was kind of my... Uh, ring the bell moment and then then I end up uh, going to nuclear power school feeling deflated like because I went in geeked up I'm going to be a Navy SEAL and now I'm a Navy engineer yeah I'm totally made fun of those guys all the way through and now I'm (laughs) one of them so which turned out to be good because when I got out I could have went anywhere I mean Texas Instrument the A plant there was plenty of opportunities which my uncle was that was what he was trying to stress is if you want a job when you get out of the military you better do something to get a good education while you're in there and then that's that's I mean you got to pay the price and that's um, I learned that the hard way. So coming out of there, I actually then then I went to college, joined the National Guard because they the Ohio National Guard, which later a few years later turned into the Ohio International Guard. But we, uh, 
we uh, they paid 100 percent of school, and and the Navy paid you thirty thousand dollars to go to college. So I was like, well, I can I can get thirty thousand cash just for going to college. This is kind of a no-brainer. And that's kind of where. Um, so then we ended up. So at, how, many, how many years did you active duty? Twelve. Oh shit! Oh, I didn't, wow! Oh, wow! Yeah. So yeah, we had well, that's between the Army and the Navy. So yeah, we got a. Um, so we got. Like I said, I got out of the actually I was on if you remember Donald Rumsfeld come with stop loss. Yeah. So I was actually out in '03, and um, he said, "No, you're not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you're going anyway." So um, they sent us to Camp Atterbury, where it was like 15 degrees below zero, to train us to send us to the desert. And um, that's guard, baby. Yeah. Go guard. Wow. And then uh, <laughs> so yeah, we ended up in. Like I said, I, would, I I tell everybody all the time, I'd never change it. I'm glad I got to do it. I never want to do it again. It was a, it was an awesome experience being being in a war zone with guys that are all from your hometown. Even other other U.S. troops just didn't get it. They they would always come to us and be like, "Wait a minute, you guys went to school together?" Right. Because they're from all over the country yeah. brought together. So it was it was a very unique experience. All going together, staying together, and then coming home together was was awesome. You guys deployed in was that 04? Uh, December of '03. Okay. We came back in February of '05. Yeah. And where were you where were you at? In to our... Creek. Okay. That's that's where we were everywhere, but that's that's where we. That's, that's where your our, station, yeah, our, headquarters. Our was. Yeah. So and then of course come back from there, went back to Big Sandy, um, and then uh, Big Sandy basically was evolving into a uh, what they uh, an ESOP company, which is an employee stock ownership program. So basically, the employees of Big Sandy, the two owners of Big Sandy, were stepping away, and in, instead of selling it off, they basically sold it to the employees through stock options. So. Mm-hmm. Great, great people, great company. When you got off active duty, is that when you went in right into Big Sandy, or correct? Came back home. What back. Year, and when was that? Like late nineties, uh, so, early two thousands, or uh, ninety? Well, I came, I came back from active duty in the Navy in ninety seven. Okay. So then we joined the Guard, which rolled into active duty. Right. So that's um. So the the our whole period was from basically ninety early ninety four to late oh five. Okay. Was the military. And then Big Sandy until 2012. So, and that's how we, um, like I said, that's that's building eFlow. I mean, was starting with taking a very good salary that that I worked all, all very hard for at Big Sandy to to give that up and to go do something that was unknown and had no idea how he was gonna. Did you have like you know, a side hustle at the same time, or was this like a clean oh, break? Yeah. I did a. Um, I, and I think I think a lot of entrepreneurs, like when I talk to them all the time, it's. Um, I think a lot of people should keep their job mm-hmm. and then work part time on what they want to do, to just to make sure that's really what you want to do before you make that cut. So I did that for years. I've probably always done that. Uh-huh. But um, we um, we had the commercial carpet cleaning business first. So I had a I had a six day a week job, Big Sandy, and then my seventh day we we do carpets. So and then that was that was kind of knew that. And real estate, I, I real estate I've done since I was eighteen. So I had my first rental property. I actually paid two hundred fifty bucks for a trailer, and I rented it for two hundred fifty bucks a month. And I still I still have that same trailer. So. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's yeah, the so old that's, buy here pay here model. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you so, go back to that. Yeah. So that's the. Um, so then that's it's it's kind of evolved into what it is today, which is the student housing, the commercial carpet cleaning, the energy business, the. Um, Patties and Pints, and then the development company, which we're currently doing the uh, Glockner Hardware on Market Street down there. So cool, awesome. So walk us through that process. So you're at you're at um, Big Sandy, and you, you have you have your multiple side hustles opening that up, and then what's the ultimate 
decision point where you're like, you know what, it's it's time to uh, to strike it on my own. Well, it's 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 a hundred percent in your heart what you feel like. Cause I I give everything to Big Sandy. So when we're sitting in board meetings, I mean everything everything there was like it was my own. So when I started feeling like I was pulling myself away from that, not giving everything to that company and, and focusing on everything I was doing, I knew then it was time to, to make a break. And I and I said, listen, this is where I'm at and this is where I'm going. So over the next three months, we'll transition out because I wasn't as I wasn't necessarily in a position where I could just leave. Mm-hmm. So it took a, it took a I'd say 60, 90 days, and then slowly just evolved out of that and into and then I now I'm on my own looking around thinking what in the world was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. So that's um, that the whole thing I mentioned earlier about paying the price. That's now it's now it's time to fail and get up and do it again. Fail mm-hmm. and get up and do it again. That's um, just not being afraid to take risk. Yeah. So um, we're kind of we've got our little our paper here mm-hmm. with with our our five bullet points. But um, today we're just we're talking about how to leverage the assets we have to revitalize our town, and uh, we're kind of getting into that already. But just to be clear. Uh, Tim brought five, as he has titled, five nuggets that he picked up along the way. Um, and we're going to discuss, go through those and discuss those. And um, Tim and Dale and we'll, and, yeah. oh, and we forgot to mention that Joe Glockner is here. He's in the corner over there. So, Joe, feel free. Good job, Joe. Yeah. Feel, Joe's probably still hungover yeah, from his 40th birthday. You may have bash. saw him on last Friday with a horn. <laughs> And pretty much everyone got to pour whatever they wanted into... And he would drink it. Into Joe's horn. Yeah. <laughs> By far the coolest birthday party of all time. <laughs> yeah, I said only only Joe would say, I want to have a 40th birthday party and invite everyone from Portsmouth yeah. is invited. I love it. Dig it. it. He's it the only blast. dude I know can charge people to go to his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I had no idea until the day I... I That's thought it was a joke, didn't yeah. I? Well, I, 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 I was already, like, I was sitting on the patio, and then I saw, I see Tim, see Tim and his wife walking in, paying, t- <laughs> hey, I paid to get <laughs> Yeah, Joe did. Joe yeah. paid too. <laughs> yeah, so. That was funny. I don't know if they paid, but they sold out, and then they stood in line, so. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Awesome. It was so much fun. Thank so, you, Joe. Speaking of revitalization, let's, let's talk about some of your efforts here in town. Um, especially with, you know, the student housing, your, your building, you've, I keep like pointing to it, like the actual listeners can see it, but, um, your headquarters building here, patties and pints. So let, let's talk about some of the things you've had going on in the last couple of years. Okay. So when, obviously when I made the transition from Big Sandy to, uh, eFlow, I bought, I was, I was at the second street dairy bar buying a milkshake and I heard some commotion in the background and there was an auction going on. So um, it was Kurt McGraw. He was having an auction, and I, I walk over and I, I holler and ask him if he wanted a milkshake. And I take him milkshake. We're standing there, and I was like, I was like, what's what's going on here? Because I'm selling off this building. I said, well, it's a cool little building. Yeah. I said, I mean, where, where are you at right now? And then they were at twelve hundred bucks. Second, third call, and I was like, wait a minute. So then I've never been in an auction in my life. So I'm like thirteen hundred. They're like, sir, you got to get a number. You got to fill this out. And I was like, hang on. So I come back. So I end up buying the building for two thousand dollars. And I opened the door and looked inside, and I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> there was a reason. Right. <laughs> it was bad. So we we literally, it's a two-story building, three-story count in the basement. We totally gutted everything. The only thing was left was four walls. So that was my um, that was my first experience. So I went home after we gutted. I sat down, and I wrote down this budget. I was like, I can, I can, I can do this. I can get my, I can get a crew together. We can, we can completely revamp this, put students in there, and I can do all this for about $60,000. 
Well, about three months into it, I was past sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> I wasn't even twenty percent done. So I thought uh, this once again another failure along the way. But that's um, that was that was a huge learning curve. So it ended up being probably four to five times that amount. But I wanted it to be something that the college kids wanted to live there because we had, Neil does an awesome job with student housing. So he's already set the bar. So if you're going to go after college students, you've you've got to go. Go big. Right, because they're used yeah. to what the market is. Yeah. So we basically opened it up, and I said, I want it to look like you just walked into MTV Cribs. This is like the coolest student housing ever. It was right here. It does, too. Yeah. It's really awesome. So that, And that's that's basically what we did. And then, then August came around, and then it was just like crickets. I'm like, I'm not getting any students, and I was freaking out. And then slowly but surely, two or three of them had seen it, and then the word got out, and we had a waiting list in no time. So that worked out. So then that's then that made me think, well, let's let's go find another building and do it. And Cindy was actually with us on that one in that building. Another huge <laughs> obstacle. So I take, I take, I have seventy-five thousand dollars. Everything I have, I put. Matter of fact, when I was done, when that building fell, I think I had sixty bucks to my name. After I've put everything I have into this building, and they're tearing down a building beside me, which the whole story of how that thing went down in the news and the paper was completely inaccurate. But so, so anyway, I'm tearing, they're tearing down a building beside me, which I was glad it was going to make ours look better. And it's a forty-foot tall wall, a foot thick, a brick, a hundred foot long. And this, when it comes down, it's like a wrecking ball. So we put a new roof on, we put new floors, new pour new concrete, and we're building the building this building back, and it just takes it to the ground. And of course, when you're when you're doing these old buildings, there's no nobody's going to insure. Actually, I take that back. <laughs> I I did have insurance. I put insurance on the day before, and um, so so that so that that whole night was just kind of a blur. I can remember I can remember thinking there's nothing we can do about it now but clean it up. I remember Cindy coming to the gym that day or that next day, and I was just like, because we had, we had had discussions like, oh, you know, you buy buildings, you know, it's a risk, it's this and that and the other. And we're like, oh, what's the worst case scenario? <laughs> I think I come crumbling to the ground. Well, the worst case scenario is when a brick wall. <laughs> Falls over and then just demolishes your entire structure yeah. to the ground, and, and was, then all the money's gone. And I'd, I'd actually wrote out to eighty three suites because eighty three suites on national television, cool. And I wanted to put them on the first floor and and, and try to bring some things back to downtown. And uh, they were closed that day, so I'm coming back over the overpass by B Dubs, and I get a phone call that says, "Hey, the building fell." Well, I, I thought they were talking about the building they were tearing down. So I'm like, well, that's kind of the point. And they're like, no, it crushed a truck. I'm like, how did it crush a truck? And they're like, it crushed a truck on Court Street. Well, I'm thinking, well, the building they're tearing down is 200 feet from Court Street. How in the world? And uh, so I was like, did everybody get out? Did anybody get hurt? I'm like, no, nobody got hurt. Everybody's, everybody's fine. So from that point on, once I knew nobody was hurt, I kind of, there was not much you could do about it. That was kind of the end of it. The next day, the Buckeyes played in the Big Ten Championship. So um, a guy didn't see a buddy of mine says, hey, I guess we're not going to the Buckeye game anymore. And I can remember my line to him was, did those bricks block the highway between here and the house? <laughs> it's like, if not, if not, we're going to the ball game. Because the last place I want to be right now is right here. So we, uh, we packed up, went to the ball game, came back, cleaned up our mess. And then Neil Hatcher actually was standing on Front Street looking at this pile. And Neil, Neil comes up to me and says, what you need to do is buy that building and do the same thing. And that's where Pies and Pints is today, the bank's. Uh. So that's kind of how that that whole process. I wasn't really looking at another building at that time, but only a guy like that can can say, "Hey, pick buy that building now." Um, so, and that's kind of um, that's kind of what it uh, evolved into. We bought the banks, started at the top, worked our way down. It's student housing top down, and then we got to the first floor, and everybody would, kept coming in wanting to rent it for either another antique store or or just just shops. I just didn't feel like fit in the building, 
and I wanted something that would actually draw more traffic downtown to complement the antique stores we already have. So that's where um, the whole idea of pies and pints was born. So, so I'm curious as far as like when you know we're just throwing around terms by this building by that building. What what type of capital requirements are we talking to be able to do that? Well, that just that question alone is what a ton of people ask themselves, and that's probably the hugest, that's the biggest roadblock that people put in front of them. Because by asking that question, you're you're already telling yourself you can't do it. Mm-hmm. So I just went into it as if I, because I just told I had sixty bucks left, so I had zero money to go buy that building. But I'm a hell of a salesman, so I knew that I could if I could get in front of the right person and and tell them what we wanted to do. I knew we could get that building, and that's exactly what it is. We we partnered with an awesome banker. I mean, she's she gets it, she sees it, she um, she takes risk, and and she even she even and we we actually used her going into pies and pints as well. And she she was at the concert this this past Friday, and she told me she goes, when you sat in front of me and talked to me about pies and pints, I thought you were crazy. Hmm. And she said, all she goes, I loaned this money mm-hmm. to you. I had no idea that that pies and pints would evolve into what it has. So that's um, it just it's just not being a not letting. The, the little things that most people the first as soon as they sit down and write down an idea they're gonna they'll write down an idea and then they come off to the side of paper and write ten th- reasons why they can't do it mm-hmm. instead for throw that side of the paper away and write ten reasons why you're going to do it like if if there's if there's your life depends on making this right. happen how are you going to do it and that's, when, yeah when you burn the ships you got no yeah you well, got I'm standing on a pile of rubble out back <laughs> I'm standing on a seventy five thousand dollar pile of bricks mm-hmm. so. so was that your for that building that collapsed. Was that your own funds? Then? Yeah, that was our. That was my money. It was gone. Well, in some sense, right? In the, in your, in the so, so you and a few partners went in, bought that building. Correct. How much? Uh, you mind how much? Say the which building? The one that fell. The or one the, that fell. Yeah. Yeah, the one that fell. Oh, we bought it at auction as well for twenty-seven thousand. Okay. So, so the seventy-five grand was the improvements we'd already done to it. So and that was me, Gary, and Cindy was involved. So in that the you're at that point you're in at seventy-five k. Then it all falls in, and what you ended up selling it, did you, or just selling so the I land? Up selling, I end up selling the land that's behind Pies and Pints to Charlie Canner, a buddy yeah. of ours. So he he buys it all. So then now now I'm out of it. It's it's and all that did was pay for the cleanup. That's what I was going to say. Because so you're basically out seventy five k. Right, and and, and, and <laughs> right. I'm the, right. I'm the I'm the biggest fan of capitalism, but when you see it happen right in front of you, sometimes it just it just well, I, I probably don't say those words on here. But well, we're good. rated explicit. You're good. You're right. So, so I'm standing, I'm standing there, and uh, the city says, "Well, call a couple construction companies." So I call. We them. could. Okay. We'll get, we'll go back and take care. So of them. call call <laughs> call a couple construction companies, and I do. The first one shows up. We talk and t- talk about him. He says, "I'll take it down." The fire department wants to write it down. I'll take it down eleven thousand dollars. I'll take it down right now. I was like, "Okay." Um, when do I get paid? As soon as it's on the ground. Okay. No, <laughs> I got like five hours to come up with eleven grand. So. Um, so, so then, um, so the second construction company shows up and they're like, oh man, we, we were late. We're sorry. And I said, well, I've already committed this guy. The, the fire chief is on my back. We got to get this thing on the ground. And he says, um, I, and, and which, um, we won't use names there, but he says, he, he comes up and he says, well, he's, I wish we, we would have, we would have, we would have took care of you. I wish we got here earlier. Sorry. We missed out. So then the company I agreed to walks over to the company that was late and says, uh, I'll pay eight thousand dollars to put this on the ground. <laughs> so, so he made three thousand dollars for, for being for being early, and I was sitting there thinking, "You got to be kidding me!" So, yeah, God bless him. And that's exactly what I thing. said. That's exactly what I said. I was like, "God bless him." I mean, it, it just hurts when it happens. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that, right. but that's America. 
So it's uh, and that's exactly how it went down. The 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 second guy that showed up tore it down for three thousand dollars less. And so like I, seventy five k, your building literally falls to the ground, and I'm just imagining every brick that you see fall is like a thousand dollar bill. <laughs> well, when I when I pulled up and saw a truck that had been crushed by it, and the truck was about eighteen inches off the ground, the entire truck. Oh my so gosh. the guy, uh, he reached in the window of the truck and the side panels where his wallet was, and it looked like he was picking his wallet up off the ground. That's how, mm-hmm. I mean, the truck was literally just flattened. Wow. So it was a, um, so that was, like I said, that was, it was, it was overwhelming. The, the part that was, the part that probably made it not as bad as knowing that no one was hurt. So as soon as sure. I, I didn't have the liability of someone being hurt right. and really all I'm dealing with is a big pile of bricks. You can well, deal with that. Yeah. So then. Let's go. Let's go to. Well, uh, to me, the most interesting part is like, all right, let's go bo- <laughs> buy another one. Let's go let's buy another one. one. Yeah. yeah. Like immediately. Let, like, all right, screw it. Oh. So the so the strike house. I don't know if you guys know where that is across from Torloco. We looked at that one first, and then the same day I looked at the banks. And um, the, the strike house is a cool property. It was built by Germans in the early 1900s. It's 30 apartment, 27 apartments, something like that. Just a cool building, and it fit the whole concept with student housing that we wanted to do. But it's just, um, I just seen it as a, a ton of work that I wasn't sure I knew how to do. So when we got to the banks, there was there was work there I didn't know how to do, but it wasn't near as much. So I figured we could figure that part out. The banks, that, that building is huge, too. Yeah. I, I would be intimidated to do a project that big. Yeah, we walked in. Especially after room. a building fell in <laughs> right behind it. didn't feel defeated. Like, I, I don't know what I would have thought. I would not have been able to turn around and been like, okay. Well, we actually, all, all three of us went to Tim Hortons that night as they were tearing it down. We went to Tim Hortons that night, got out a napkin, and started drawing out how we are going to lay out the next building. And that's... Um, that's you have to be that way. Yeah. You cannot, yeah. like, what's done is done. The building it's, fell. It's over. Oh, shit. I want to cry for a little bit at least. <laughs> I mean, let, and then you let, me, let me just be grumpy for a little bit. <laughs> and then you have to borrow money to go to Buckeyes game next <laughs> <laughs> I need a Which was man. an awesome gig because they won like fifty nine to nothing, so that yeah. made it even better. So, yeah. so I, I think I mean I'm glad we we ran through that little bit of history there because I think a lot of people from the outside think people who just go buy these buildings get this stuff are just shitting twenty dollar bills out. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. not the case. Yeah. Like like you went all in, lost, <laughs> and then figure out a way to make a sale and get some money loan to, to turn around and make it happen. Yeah, you have to you have to have a vision and idea and then you have to be able to communicate that vision and idea to someone that's willing to help you make it come true. And it ain't always just a bank. It could be employees, it could be partners, it could be neighbors, it could be the city <laughs> city council. Right. That don't like your patios. <laughs> so that's a um, there's there's it's it's a it's a process and I I am I am 100% uh, asked for uh, forgiveness instead of permission type personality and that's that's a little tough sometimes when you're dealing with city council so it gets you in trouble every now and then did Joe just pay off his debt Joe just paid off his beer, beer getting, more is, money is his beer tab getting better yeah. <laughs> brighter tomorrow so yeah we see so you got the so you get so now where we're at in, in this process we've got the student housing across from the dairy bar which awesome building love it it's it's paying for itself it's it's successful it's 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 a proven model proof of concept so now we're trying to take that to a bigger scale and um so our goal and and what we was communicating to whether it's banks partners neighbors was we wanted 100 students in 100 months and that's um 
and that was, I mean, that's plastered on my screensaver, on my computer, it's on the post-it notes in my car. Everywhere I'm looking, it's 100 students, 100 months, 100 students, 100 months. And then that's, that's all we're going after, so we, we need buildings that can accommodate that. So that the, the banks can hold up to 30, build, uh, up to 30 students, so that doesn't get us there. So mm-hmm. we can't stop there, even though, okay, finally we're done. Now, and then things like, um, things come up along the way that will distract those goals. Things like patties and pints. <laughs> Let's go build a restaurant that has nothing to do with 100 students in 100 months, but... But that's uh, that just had to be that's something that complemented the downtown, and I think it'll help bring more students down there mm-hmm. and more people downtown. And it's, um, I mean, the coolest compliment I've probably ever got was someone coming up to me and said, um, "Thanks for making me parallel park in downtown Portland." Yeah, that's uh, so, that's cool. So when they're trying to get to a restaurant, there's no parking spaces. That's uh, and that obviously wasn't the case before. Yeah. So, so we. You know, we got the 100 students, 100 months. Let, let's talk about your vision for Patties and Pines. Like, wh- how did that come about? Where And what are some things you've done since it's been in a sh- relatively very short time it's been open? And, and where, do you, what are you, where do you see that going forward in the future? So um, Patties and Pines, basically, um, Brian Listerman is a partner I brought in with that. And he's, um, I mean, he's brilliant. He's, there's, there's several aspects that he's way, way smarter than me. Most of them, actually. But when it comes to beer, I don't even I don't even try to keep up. I just I just de- defer every question to him. Mm-hmm. So I mean, when our, when all the beer reps and everybody's coming in and talk to us, okay, Brian, you take over from here. And I mean, he's extremely knowledgeable, so I wasn't going to waste my time trying to keep up. I just I wanted to make sure he was on my team. So when Brian come on board and we started thinking things that we could do, it was real it was real obvious. We neither one of us were cooks, so we can make a hamburger and we drink beer. And it's kind of hard to screw those two things up, so let's just do burgers and beer. Well, that name was already taken. So then we started kicking around different names, and then Patties and Pints came up. And then I said, well, how do we go bigger than that? Let's do let's do a whole wall. So originally we was going to do 37 taps for the whole 37 flood. I said, well, that's kind of depressing. So, <laughs> so, let's, so then it evolved to 86 taps for the whole, during the, the speakeasy theme, everybody, when it when say 86 it, that meant you were being raided. So everybody would go out the back of the buildings and dump their their liquor on the Hudson on 86th Avenue. So the term 86, it, our, our generation says file 13 back then, and, and the restaurant business still says 86. It. Hmm. And that's where it came from. So I said, well, let's do 86 taps. So we have a we have a whole wall. We're going to do 86 taps now. Well, flowing that cooler space downstairs, it just it just it, it got a little overwhelming. And then so I was thinking, well, let's cut it back to 50 on tap and do 36 bottles. We can still get 86, but now we know we can do it right. And that's kind of where it, how it landed where it is today. And the and the criticism along the along the way oh, of that man. was people. There's no way. I mean, it just blast me on Facebook. Nobody wants that crap. Stick to the basics. Coors Light, Bud Light, Michelob Ultra, and nobody's going to drink that stuff. And it's just, I mean, it's hard to tune that stuff out sometimes. So you have to you have to take that that criticism and use it as fuel, and 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 and, and instead of running from it, just run run head on into it, and then just just like you're going down the highway, you got to stop and get gas eventually. Just go after it. Look for the criticism, mm-hmm. and then sometimes there's there's going to be some legitimacy in it, and you take take what they're saying and make what you're doing better anyway. So that's kind of um, that's kind of where it evolved. And when we open open the doors, thinking, man, I hope we can sell 50, 50 kegs, and you know it's well, something like thirty five kegs a week we go through now. So well, and it's you know there's a lot of reasons why, but you know a big reason is you're first to market in this area. For like no one else is offering that wide of craft beer selection. And it's like, you can listen to the bottom feeders who never want change, who never want, like, who always want Coors, Bud, and Mick Ultra. Or, like, 
if you feel like the demand is there and somebody just has to has to take the risk and wants to be able to offer it and see where it happens and like like you guys are you're one of Ryan Geist Brewery's top sellers right in Portsmouth Ohio in Portsmouth Ohio right like that's because you're willing to offer like a change and not continue to do the same thing that's been regurgitated and recycled the whole the whole time through right and then and then what goes into that is, of course, the people you hire. So you have to have an awesome team. And that's where the four days a week, which we still get criticized for, which we just, since schools opened up, we, we, we opened up on Wednesdays now. If it was up to me, we'd still, which I guess it is up to me. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the four days a week was still a concept that I, I like because I like our people having the three days off and then focusing heavily on those four days. Um, we're, we're just getting a ton of requests for the, the one more day, whether it be Wednesday or Monday. So we went with Wednesday. But the, um, like I said, putting the team together and then coming up with, all right, is, is they can help us sell this idea and build an atmosphere. Because when, when we have staff meetings, I, I, I go over, over and over and stress to them, our number one selling items is a cheeseburger and a, as a domestic bottle of beer. We're a craft beer and craft burger place, right. and the American Classic Cheeseburger and Bud Light are still number one. So that we're really no different than anybody else in southern Ohio. The only thing we got to offer is is better service and atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And um, so those are the things when I see us get complimented on things mm-hmm. when people are like, it's a killer atmosphere. I love hanging out there. Mm-hmm. That's that's what we've spent the most time on and hired the people for. And and, and that's, um, I mean, if you look at our kitchen staff, or just you, you can't help but just want to hang out in there because it's just right. full of personality, just awesome people. I mean, where else can you pull your head chef out and say, hey, I want you to be the MC for the concert. Yeah, that was and cool. Nailed <clears throat> yeah. You know I mean? So that's, um, and, then, and that's, uh, that's, that's what we, we work hard to protect is that atmosphere. I mean, anybody can knock off your menu. I mean, there's several places around town that sure. that are selling the exact same thing we do now, but it's hard to uh, sell our atmosphere. So. Right. And that's, no, that's, that's a that's a great point. Paul, you've been open now. Uh, we opened in I'll say June, so June, July, August. Wow. It's almost 90 days. How many employees? Uh, 30. And how many people did you have to interview to? to 118. 118. Yeah. I think you stopped by that day. I, yeah. did, I did it in two days. 118 people in two days. That was insane because it was one right after another. Boom, boom, boom. And we there was there's the tons that we interviewed that were great. It's just the 30 that we landed on just happened to be a, a, a little bit better. So let's let's discuss your vast experience in the restaurant business. Well, it's I mean it's it, I don't know if we have enough time on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's all of 90 days now. Started 90 days ago. Well, you mean like eating in restaurants? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely nothing. Didn't know absolutely anything about the restaurant business. I have an exercise we can do when we get down to number four that'll that'll. So that's that's something that we'll talk about paradigm shifts here in a little bit. But that's that's something that people. You can't go in the restaurant business. What do you know about the restaurant business? Or you can't go in the car business. What do you know about the car business? You can't open a gym. What do you know? So it's those. It's those. And you'll hear that over and over and over. And it's just um, well. Like a, a buddy of mine, Gary Rice, just bought a building on Second Street, which we talk about revitalization. That's it's it's like a wildfire; it's contagious. So he's going to put it right beside Pags and Pints, and he's doing a wine bar. Hadn't even drank wine; doesn't even drink wine. So he's like, "Well, what do you know about wine?" He goes, "All I know is I could be, I could possibly be the best wine bar out there, and I don't even know it yet." Yeah. And it's that type of attitude yep. that you have to just go head on to instead of saying, "Oh, I don't know anything about wine. I, I better not do a wine bar." I'll wait for so, someone who does. I mean, if we sit around and just do what we're good at, then we're going to have a whole lot of stores that are the exact same thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, uh, so that's, I, I think, uh, one of my favorite, favorite stories about you is before I really knew you and we'd always, I knew of you through Cindy. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Cindy, Cindy's a coach at the gym. Um, 
so we, we were always able to go to go back and forth and then so we had an idea to throw a concert in addition to our annual annual gauntlet competition and through shark tank we got we got hooked up with a with a pretty popular band two steel girls um they're they're really big in nashville they're kind of on the up and coming scene and um we're just sitting around we're like all right well every year we want to make the gauntlet better so you know what can we do from a technical aspect as far as competition and then like okay well what can we do from throwing a party we gotta have an after party yeah we always have to have an after party somewhere (laughs) and um i was like concert let's throw a concert so then we we ended up meeting and talking and uh (laughs) i thought i was like crazy because i I remember i know where this is going so i was was like all right well i have zero experience in the concert promoting business and i've been talking to the girls and, and they you know, we became friends, so they kind of gave us a hookup price. And I have no idea, like, what if their price was good, bad. I knew it was more than I had ever wanted to pay to bring a to bring a, a band up here. And so we're talking, and, and Tim's like, man, I just like to think big. Like, I've <laughs> <laughs> we're like, I've already contacted Keith Urban's people. They wanted $500,000. <laughs> I don't I was, think, I think Dale and I didn't say anything for, like, for like... Waiting for you to laugh like you were joking, and you're like, yeah, five hundred thousand. Yeah, so I'm so, like, oh, well, this this is a steal, then. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we can if, if they if they want that kind of money, we can really have a heck of a party if you yeah. get somebody else. Yeah, so and then it was, it was like it was on. Like mm-hmm. uh, we threw that concert, and I, I don't I can't remember the last time a non River Days concert had been thrown in in Bony Fiddle, and it was packed. Right. Yeah, I mean that was that was insane. Well, the cool part about that is, um, well, basically everybody that's in this room had something to do with both of those concerts. Mm-hmm. We're all had zero experience in promoting a concert, and we put two kick-ass concerts on in a row. <laughs> yeah, and and it, and where that comes from is, and is that's what I get the most geeked about is when an entire group of people have that same vision and nail it. And that because one guy can sit there and say, "Okay, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do," and twelve people can show up. So mm-hmm. that's seeing that, seeing it evolve into what it's, what it's come into. And it's, and the cool part is bouncing ideas off of guys like you. I mean, I, I throw stuff out to most people and they just think I need <clears throat> my head checked. I mean, this guy's nuts. And then you guys were like, yeah, well, yeah, sure. Let's try it. And especially Joe. <laughs> I think I'm crazy. He's, he can we're go even a level my up. Fa- <laughs> my favorite is like our, our group text messages that we have going back and forth. And it is just, it is just revolving door of insanity ideas on like, like we're going to, we're doing a new year's concert. We're doing, uh, we're doing something for Oktoberfest. We're going to try to get all these different bands down here. And, uh, and we're, we're, you know, that's a good segue to get into to some of the nuggets you've picked up along the way. Okay. So I'll just go ahead and you want me to leave you the little... Yeah, you can read it and then we'll go through Okay, cool. So number one, decide which side of the W-2 you find the most happiness. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. Like, so if you're, if you're at a job and you're not happy right now, it's not always your job that's, that's making you unhappy. So... Figure that out, and that's where you can do work full time on your your job and part time on your fortune. Before you just up and leave the job, it may have nothing to do with the job the way you're unhappy. It may just be other things you got going on in life. And if you're always chasing money, then the the, the end result is probably always going to be unhappiness. Now, some people that's their their goal is money, and then that's what makes them happy. But 
very few people, most people just think they have to have money to be happy. So. Yeah. yeah, I like what you have written here. Don't let making a living get in the way of living your life. Your salary shouldn't be your scorecard. Your happiness should be. Okay. I think that's very, very important. And Dale, Dale and I basically left a, a very good salary right about the same time. Where most people, oh, yeah. most people would have no, I mean, you, you get a job like that, you keep it. Until you yeah, die. Yeah. They don't come on trees. Like yeah, yeah. There's a there's a book I read, Rich Pad Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You guys may have read it, but he, he talks about how his poor dad told him to get a job, work your way up the corporate ladder. And mm-hmm. that's and, and you get a six figure income, you've made it. That's your scorecard. Yeah. Whereas Rich Dad said just buy the ladder. Yeah. So and then bring everybody up that ladder that you possibly can. And that's that's the happiness. When you look around and see what you can do for other people, it's a hundred times more rewarding than, than going and checking your direct deposit in the bank. So yeah. That's a, um, and it just, it just, it takes a lot of failure to figure that out mm-hmm. and it takes getting money and then spending it and then being broke again and buildings falling down <laughs> to figure out that money had nothing to do with it to begin with. So and th- and there's a, another book that I always reference people to, it's called the dream year and it's basically a book about how you can take one year of your life and be able to make that leap. But in it, it talks exactly like that. There is essentially, you got to figure out there's two types of people. There's creators and then there's employees. And not everybody is meant to be a creator. And there's nothing wrong with being an employee either. There's dreamers and there's doers. And it takes that, that dual side to make something to make something happen. Um, and if you're, if you're completely comfortable in the position you're in, uh, that's great. And maybe you can link up with somebody who is that creator, that dreamer, and be that person who executes the vision and the task because um, not everybody's built to take risk. No. Not everybody is built to have a building fall in and draw the next thing out on a napkin. And you, I mean, you said it perfectly. Link up with some, I mean, that's and that's where that's what I'd done for 17 years. I I linked up with some of the, like I said, the greatest business minds around here and, and the creators that that think crazy outside the box. And I thought, man, I'll let them deal with all the pressures of <laughs> payroll and, and insurance and all the insanity that comes along with owning a business that. The, the the part that's not glamorous that nobody the back end that nobody sees, and then um, so that just deciding which side of the W two you belong you're either you're either getting a W two you're given a W two and there's nothing wrong with each side just pick which side makes you happy and then, and then go be happy yeah cool number two pay the price so it says here everyone pays for education some people do this in the form of student loans or scholarships well there's another way to pay for an education it's called failure. Once you decide what you really, what really, really makes you happy, and you have decided to be totally obsessed, then you need to dive in and expect to fail, fail over and over. Pay the price now, so you can pay any price later. So we talked about this a little bit ago with the, obviously the buildings falling, mm-hmm. uh, military. But I mean, you you have to be willing to pay the price. So the the people that are on the fence about leaving their job and going and doing this, but well, that's that electric bill is going to be three hundred dollars a month. I can't. If if the if the price gets in the way and you're not willing to pay the price, then find something else Walk to do away. that's going to make you happy. Because the the paying the price is probably the hardest part, and that can that can affect relationships. It can affect. I mean, I look at a, I watched a documentary on Albert Einstein. How basically his kids didn't even know who he was. His entire life was spent on the Manhattan Project, and and he that I've I've actually got one of his quotes down there that he carved into his desk is all creation awaits the son of man. He, he had that everywhere he went, basically saying that everything you can possibly think of is already out there. We just, it's waiting on us to find it. Mm-hmm. And the one that I always go back to, because it still blows my mind how it works as a fax machine, 
how you imagine going back in the 1800s and say, hey, well, let's send a fax. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll put a piece of paper in this machine. They'll pop up in California and they'll spit out that exact same piece of paper. Having someone who had that kind of vision to, and today a fax machine to us is almost obsolete. So yeah. we're like, we're so far past it now. But, but that, that, just that vision to come up with those type of things and, and think so far outside the boxes. And just gets excited, but you, those guys have to pay the price. I mean, they, the criticism you're going to take, the failures you're going to go through. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to be willing to do that. It's crazy, man. Just imagine, like, if uh, if your ancestors never opened up that motorcycle shop. Uh, that's what I want. We could talk about that forever. I feel like paying the price with your family's legacy. I mean, everything they did, they had to pay the price, pay the price, and then here you are getting ready to tell their story. I think it's going to be awesome. I was actually, I was talking about the Glockners earlier is the, uh, the, the whole legacy deal with, um, like, like Dale and I, I don't know a lot about his history, but I mean, we're trying to create a legacy, which is hard mm-hmm. enough and that's, and you pay the price now, but what is a hundred times harder than that is protecting one. Yeah. And that's, that's the boat that you guys are in. And I, and I can't imagine the pressure that comes with that. Every decision you make you're you're making a decision for the future, and you're like, okay, this is I'm protecting everybody that brought yeah. me to this point. So that's a um, that's a lot of truth to that. That's that's a tough deal. To, that's a tough. I mean, it's there's and, good and bad to it. Yeah. And, and Tim will always say, oh, you, what you're doing is always is way harder than what I'm doing. Like, cause you're trying to build something, mm-hmm. and trying I'm to like something that's and, not there. And I'm like, no, bro. Like, like what I would not want that if I screw up. And I screw up all the time. Uh, it's on me. It, it's not because of my dad. Exactly. Like I don't. It's not because of my grandfather. Like I don't want that hanging over my head. Exactly. Yeah, you know I mean, carrying that—that's a big crown. That's a big rock to be carrying up a hill. No, like every decision you make, don't make. Like you've got that legacy behind you. Exactly. I mean, I'm standing on a pile of rubble. And nobody came up to me and said, "Your dad wouldn't let that building fall." <laughs> so, where if you're on a pile of rubble, <laughs> somebody's like, "Okay, call your dad." Yeah. So that's, uh, I mean, that's it's a lot of pressure, and I, I admire you guys for doing it. And and it's, um, I mean, and not only that, you're doing a hell of a job of it. So, thank you. Number three, add value. <clears throat> Focus on adding value in all you do especially yourself and others around you. You can race to be the low-cost leader, but that path is always going down. If You will find more profit by adding value. Focus on being the best product, not the cheapest. Mm. Don't price yourself out of profitability. So this comes from, um, once again, the furniture business. I, I learn a ton from those guys. and we, you, can, you can always be the cheapest, but being the cheapest don't always mean you're going to make the most money. So the guy, the guy selling 20 sofas might make more money than the guy selling 200 and then has a whole lot less headache to sell 20 versus selling 200 so my my thing is everything i do i try to make sure that there's value there that a certain segment will see that value not everybody has to see it not everybody's going to come into patties and pints and find value some people are going to come here it's too damn loud and i don't like it and they sell too much beer i don't want to part of this so all they have is hamburgers Mm -hmm. so that's um that if but now if you take a burger and make an awesome burger and make it make, and have more value than the guy that's selling a hamburger beside you, that's um, that's that's kind of where we're at with just finding the profit, finding a way to make it valuable enough to where there's still profit. Mm-hmm. I'm still amazed how you can go through Taco Bell and buy something for a dollar mm-hmm. and how they ever make money. I mean that blows my mind yeah. that they can 
but that's obviously they got a lot of somebody's go through that drive-through in mm-hmm. order to do it. But it's 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 crazy. I mean, literally, you can you can go through Taco Bell with a five dollars and get a bag full of food. Right. So you think, okay, well, if it took them only a dollar, two dollars to make that bag full of food, there's three dollars worth of profit there. But think how many customers have to go through before that three dollars even pays the electric bill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, and look at the employees that are working at Taco Bell. Right. Yeah. And we get into this all the time. Like we charge anywhere from four to five times the normal gym, gym membership. membership rate. And the thing is, like, it's it's the value in what you're offering. So normal gyms, they operate. If you look really look at it, normal gyms, you're paying an equipment rental fee. Is all it is. You're paying to go in, whether that's. 20, 30, 40 bucks a month and use equipment. That's it. And they shouldn't charge a lot for that. Um, but we're taking somebody, we're teaching you, we're training you, where our goal is to give you the best hour of your day and improve your quality of life and your health. And if, if you've ever had dealt with somebody who's had their health taken away from them, like, it's 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 an easy sell at 125 bucks a month mm-hmm. for that because how much money are you paying in medications how much money are you paying in crap food how much money you know you get into all that stuff but if if you're going to charge you got whatever whatever your price is going to be the value as far as I'm concerned should exceed way exceed the price um, and then once again I mean you're you're selling atmosphere and culture and then the people that you bring in is just going to drive that atmosphere and culture so i mean i, I like what you've created because you can step completely away and someone else can walk into pskc and it's going to be the same so and that's that's hard to do in itself build build team around it has that same vision to where when you're not there you you can mm-hmm. send somebody there and expect the same results so that's um well it just goes back to having the right people on the bus <clears throat> driving that driving it down the road number four paradigm shift what we think we know and believe to be true is in fact at any point in time wrong this one may be the most exciting nugget i found always search for a new truth your truth so this um dr bruce wilkerson came and gave a speech to a what we called super dupers at big sandy where we bring all 700 salespeople in and we bring in a speaker and he he went over to paradigm shift and and his 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 example was obviously world changing compared to what some of the things we're doing here but he he basically was in africa trying to feed hungry people and they would they would grow wheat and it would get too tall and the winds would block knock it over and the wheat would die and they couldn't feed anybody so they actually evolved and actually created what they call dwarf wheat and he was able to feed half the continent so that that type of paradigm shift where it was just it took thinking of well if the wind's up here if we keep the wheat down here i mean they even at one time would dig out the ground to just try to keep the wheat so those that he was the one that kind of exposed me to paradigm shifts and got me thinking that way. And then I started thinking, well, just because everybody thinks this is the truth, mm-hmm. what, what the truth might be 10 years from now might be all the way over here. And the, like I got here for the sliding scale. So if you guys want, I don't know if you have a pen and paper, but I'll slide this over. We'll use, um, we'll use the uh, Glockner auto dealership for what I, so when we, when we, um, when we were growing up, our generation, um, so, so make you, make you a scale, the sliding scale straight across you got a um, the far left side make it negative 100 the dead middle make it zero 
and then positive 100 to the far right. So now, looking at this scale, if somebody's going to place you on the scale and they're going to, they're going to send you running in a direction, we're always going to run toward that positive 100. That's just where we think we got to be. So the, the wise man over here, the, the guy that's been in the car dealership for years, we're going to use car dealership because we're sitting here with the man. The, so, and then now I'm going to come into the car dealership or I'm going to, I'm going to take over and, and start running a car dealership. I'm going to get dropped in here because I haven't been doing it, so I'm the new guy on the block that we talked about earlier, knowing nothing about the restaurant business, get dropped in here. So the truth lies out in here. Everybody thinks the truth lies out in here where the wise guy is. So let's um, let's use this example. Say when we were, our generation, when they go buy a car, our parents, they go look at the same car 10 times. They wanted all the paperwork. They wanted to talk to the owners. And their expression was, I'm not going to buy a pig and a poke. I don't know if you guys remember hearing that 100 times. Well, that is nothing like how we would buy a car. So our generation, that truth that said over here where our parents was, completely changed. Now we're going to get online. We're going to go to the website. We're going to look at the car. We're going to read some reviews. And then we may drive to the dealership and look to the car. We may just pick up the phone and call. The last one, I didn't even drive. I called and said what I want and went and got it. So yeah. it's it's completely different world. So it's a completely different truth. So if that new truth is really all the way over here on the left side of the scale where your minus 100 is, Who's the who's the wiser guy on that scale now? The guy that dropped in and didn't do nothing is halfway there, yeah. where this guy's halfway behind him. So that's um, it's just a and it, and and I like the right over here making it easy, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a. So ah! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a perfect example. If you're gonna if you're gonna buy a car today, compared to the way we, I mean, I thought of ways I could explain this today, and I think that the car business is an easy way to do it. But, the way it was 20 years ago versus the way it is today. And slowly over time, when you're in the business, slowly over mm-hmm. time, you don't see it changing that drastically. Mm-hmm. But someone that's not in the business looks at how mom and dad buy a car versus how we buy a car. Totally different. And, and it's the way we buy clothes. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way we buy shoes, Zappos, one of the largest shoe companies in the world. You just go, and, go online and click, and I'll take that pair right there. Mm-hmm. So you don't go in anymore and sit down and put that metal slider on your foot and <laughs> try 15 <laughs> different shoes before you buy a pair. So. It's it's in a whole paradigm shift, and this is just obviously one industry, but it's that paradigm shift that we're all a part of right now is happening downtown. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that you couldn't sell anything on Second Street, and if somebody said, "Hey, I want to open a business on Second Street," they was thought you were crazy. Mm-hmm. There's and and now there is there's just a whole momentum of everything moving down Bonyfield right now, and the right people at the right time, and, it's, and that's happening. All across America now, everyone's revitalizing their downtown area. The small downtown. Cincinnati's made a comeback, and Huntington's mm-hmm. making a comeback, and all these these people are, are leveraging these old cool buildings with with cool architecture and and having a dual purpose with what you're doing, student housing upstairs and, and retail downstairs, and that that gives a captive audience for the retail merchant. And then once you get that uh, momentum, then then you can be a destination for other people outside of, of the area to, to travel to your town. And you guys had on your podcast was uh, Jason Kester was talking about how our big box stores took took our most valuable land, mm-hmm. and basically the majority of that land is a parking lot now right. for your Walmarts, Kmarts, mm-hmm. whatever. And and the only thing really we have left to work with is our downtowns. So something that wasn't attractive to us as kids now is becoming, hey, this is, look at all the cool ways we can make this downtown work. And then you got this multi-purpose and a whole new lifestyle downtown. And that's whether it's walking paths, bike paths. I mean, I could see so many things downtown that we could do to make it mm-hmm. just a more draw for more people and the, and the right kind of people too. So, 
and it's and it's it's not always the guys like you said that makes it rain with twenty dollar bills. It's just the the people who are relentless and obsessed with making something happen downtown, and those are the people that I that I want to attract downtown, and we'll make it. Yeah, we'll figure it well, out. Well, the thing like they we work together. Mm-hmm. Like we we work together because we like, and I think it's you know we, we've talked about it several times, but we're all roughly around the same age, and it's our turn now. You know what I mean? Like we've we've in the last two decades we've seen we've seen what doesn't work, and I think we're all just tired of what doesn't work. And now it's our time, and we get one shot at it. we get a legacy. Like we get a legacy, and if we go and if that building falls in on itself, that's still better. That's still better than not having tried at all. And before you know it, you got two concerts it's packed out on the street, and you're you're selling burgers and beer like out the ass. When was the second or the last time that? Prior to the Two Still Girls concert, Second Street saw that many people at one time. Maybe back in the day during River Days, yeah. years ago. So. But it's a, um, it's a, it's a, like you just mentioned, that's a lot of responsibility. It's our time, and then you got to do something with it. Yeah. So you either got to move away and run from it, or you say this is our hometown and you got to do something with it. So. Yeah. And in, and in finding the right people to help you do it. There's there's the thinkers and the doers, and you need both of them to make it happen. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm convinced we've got everything we need. We've got all those creators. We just got to get everyone on the same page. And you think like Dale posed the question on our Facebook page that what would you like to see open up in Portsmouth? And we've got a laundry list of of things, many of which we already have. Mm-hmm. But I think the problem is they're not concentrated in one area. So you've got you've got miniature golf, but it's out on the west side, and that's that's a cool little place, Buckhead Dairy Bar, and you've got bowling and community pools and all this stuff, but it's not in one place. I think when people are asking for this stuff, they know that we have it, but they want a destination. And if it were all, and the cool thing about this town is it, I mean, it's small, it's small enough to do something with. There's only two streets. There's Chillicothe and Second Street, yeah. basically. Yeah, if, if we can get ten or twelve guys people together that that are forward thinking like you two we can make it happen I think pretty easily and like you said put it all in one area yeah. imagine imagine an area like Boney Fiddle in New York City mm-hmm. like what each building would cost no, I, I mean know. It's insane. 20 million dollars for a building that's falling down so the the fact that we've got this area and it's affordable and we've got uh, people and like willing what's, to do what's it. I mean what would you guys think is the percentage of buildings that are actually being used down between second, third. On and those two streets, uh, maybe 60% or something like that. Well, Jason Kester has the inventory of the buildings. So it's, um, I mean, he could probably tell you the exact numbers of buildings, is the tax income that's coming from them. But the the, the people that are, I, I like to say there's people downtown that are in business and then there's people downtown that have a hobby. So when you do 350 bucks a month in sales for gadgets or widgets or whatever, that's that's more of a hobby. And that, and and I don't, I don't intend to run people like that away. I just, I want to bring people downtown that are, that are just has bring a fire in their belly. Thirty-five thousand dollars a month. Yeah, that has a fire in their belly that wanted that, to bring more fish to the pond. So, yeah. And the more businesses are down here, the more people are going to be walking up and down Second Street. And it, and and it, and it, it just, it, it makes me smile and and try my best not to be rude when somebody says, "Hey, your customers are parking in front of my store." And I just I say, well, you understand those are our customers. They're not, they're not my customers. Yeah. Right. So you, you can sell them a shirt or a necklace before they buy a burger, so or whatever it is you sell in there. But yeah. that's um, it, it. It'll take a little while to to change that attitude for everyone. It's 
it's already there's already a huge momentum. The um, we talked about earlier the Final Friday projects. That's I mean that's that's had I think it's been going on for three years, and he's seeing it grow and grow and grow every year. This Friday we're having it down on Court Street beside Pies and Pints. So I mean that's you can see the people the two or three hundred people that show up that that live in the downtown area that are excited about those things. So it's it's already there now. It's it, it's kind of like you got the fire now. We just got to keep fanning the yeah. flames. Yeah, you've said it already, but I was listening to a thing where basically Thomas Edison was, you know, one of, if not the most brilliant person, definitely one of the top five, master of all these inventions. And uh, his mom took him to elementary school, and um, they're like, the story was this kid, what his mom told Thomas Edison is that we had to take you out of elementary school because you your mind was so more so much more brilliant than the normal students and the teachers didn't have a way to like you challenge you yeah you were just beyond their level so thomas Ed, thomas edison was essentially homeschooled by his mom and that's so he would always ask like well why can't like why am i not at normal school like normal kids well son like you're on a, you're playing on a different level but the real story was he had a learning disability. And instead of his mom telling him that essentially you're, you're too dumb right. for normal school, she told him he was too brilliant and smart. So he grew up with the belief that he was one of the most brilliant kids that ever existed. And look what that manifested into. All because his mom chose to feed him belief and not self-doubt. Mm-hmm. So I mean that you know listening to you talk like that's that's yeah it, you need to be able to express the vision and I think we'll get into it on, on the last last bullet here but you need to have an effective plan that's going to get you there right good and, and talking about failure I mean Thomas Edison was I don't remember the exact numbers like eleven when he when he told him he found out he failed 11,000 times making a light bulb. And he said, no, I found 11,000 ways not to make a light bulb. (laughs) So it's just the the way he looked at things. Right. So number five, we'll go ahead and uh, finish this off here. Number five is keep score to grow it. You must first, you must track it. You must live in the numbers every day, all day. It's always easy to see who is obsessed with their business. All you need to do is talk numbers. Progress waits for no one. Much like water, it too seeks the path of least resistance. So we, we talked about earlier people leaving the city. There's been, I mean, we were a city of, what, 50,000 people. Now we're a city of 20,000 people. So people followed progress because it wasn't happening here. So if it's not happening here, it's going to happen somewhere. So then the people will hitch their saddle to those creators that mm-hmm. left, and you take your doers and your thinkers out of the city. So it's um, if you've got progress going... I mean that's 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 something that we maybe the first time in our lifetimes, definitely the first time in our adult lifetimes that we've had this kind of momentum downtown. So it's it's a responsibility at this point to grow it. Keeping score, going back to that, I coach um, upward bound football, which they don't keep score. Absolutely drives me crazy. So every year when they when we pick teams, the very first thing I do is pick a kid that keeps score. I say your job, if you're not in the game, your job is to keep score. Because it, we, it's all about teaching the lessons of the game. The number one lesson you teach somebody, either you won or you got beat. So the number one thing I want to teach them is 
sometimes you're going to get beat. Some, and a lot of times we're going to win. So we got you got to keep scoring everything you do. Imagine going to say an NFL football game and watching the game without a scoreboard. It would be horrible. So <laughs> that that thing that should that should be keeping score should be in all aspects of life, especially in business. So if you don't if you don't know your numbers and you're not in business, once again, it's just a hobby to you. So you have to you have to be able to grow it. So, and it's 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 real. Like I said, it's real simple to find out who's who's in business. Just just start diving down in their numbers. I mean, when a couple of podcasts ago, you guys were talking about Tim driving traffic to the website, and something like twenty five thousand people have to see the website to sell six hundred cars. So that's living in the numbers. You have to know. You can't just say I got to sell six hundred cars this month, and then just let the numbers take care of themselves. Unless you have a kick ass team that'll do it for you. Right. Somebody's living in the numbers if it's not you. But the uh, that's got to start at the top, and it'll trickle down. I mean. Every day, I call them key performance indicators. I'll, I'll just text. I'll send a group text out to the uh, to our team and say, "Hey, what's your KPIs?" And they got to send back how many pints they sold, how many burgers they sold, mm-hmm. how many flights they sold. And then during special events, we'll throw uh, tickets in there as a as a as a so, right. Because if that if you're looking at it and you're tracking it, you have no choice but to sell it. Mm-hmm. It's it's in front of you. Because the, if somebody's asking me how many flights of beer do you sell today, and my answer back to you is zero, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you, that's an empty feeling. So by God, the next thing, the next customer comes in buying a flight where they want to or not. So that's um, so keeping score and tracking it. That's uh, to me the easiest way to to grow your business once you once you di- dove into it. Cool. That's awesome, man. And that's exactly how Tim ended up benching two twenty five. Exactly. <laughs> we kept score for you. <laughs> I like the management tip on on having your people tell you what they're what they're what'd you call them KPIs. Key, key, yeah key indicators so you don't have to be looking for them all the time because when you get to a business of scale you you can't check in with everybody mm-hmm. i mean there are operating systems that help with that but if they know that they've got to report to the boss every day send you a tax at the end of the day or whatever when you're you spent, you spent the last few years looking at those numbers anyway so when yeah. they send you a number that's off mm-hmm. your your mind's already trained like wait a minute i know we didn't sell 100 hamburgers and 20 pints because mm-hmm. they go together. So something's wrong there. Oh, I messed that up. It's really this. So knowing that the, that it's it's that you're looking that somebody's there's that level of accountability there. It's not necessarily Big Brother, but it's 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 helping them grow to where to the point to where you you should just take the hands off the wheel and then and that like I said earlier, that's the most satisfying feeling is when the people around you are doing it and right. you're just a part of it. You build a team that works without you. Well, brother, we uh, we thank you for all you're doing, man. It's uh, it's impressive. It really, well, it really you. is impressive, and uh, we're, we're honored that we've gotten to know you, and call you a friend, and we appreciate you for letting us in to to Patties and Point Pints and making us feel like we're part of your team. Like, well, I mean, I think the I first time Tim asked. I had a key made sent over to his office. Well, he, he, I, I was trying to figure out how we met because I met him about maybe five or six months ago, something like that. We had a mutual friend in Tim Cyrus, yeah, and uh, and he he works for you and he's worked for me before. And um, he invited me down. He was excited about your project. I came down and we broke up and all that. And then I was at, I would think I was down in Florida. Monica and I were at a similar concept, and I started texting the menu, and Monica was like who is that and why are you bothering him? You know, it's like, I just, I loved his energy and I wanted to see him succeed in Portugal. We need that so bad. I think and then, that was the burgers and beers. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, we just 
became really good friends really fast and uh and then the next thing I know I've got a key my own key to the building and he's <laughs> like what's mine is yours which I, I'll never forget that it's it, talk about creating ownership I mean, yeah well and like in I mean that's people that's an underestimated quality like you could just be like this is my like you could be a, a very authoritative you know dictatorship sort of thing. this is my place I'm not letting anybody in or like you can expand the team and have everybody feel a part of it. And like, I, I love it when, when I see you guys crushing it, like, cause I'm like, man, like that make, it makes me feel good mm-hmm. because, um, through Cindy, like, you know, we got to, we got to come in and see like when you guys were painting and the bar was being put in there. Um, and you know, we, we felt, you know, equally invested and equally a part of it. And, um, I know like, like we just came in, we're we're a spitballing an idea, and before I even gave you the idea, you're like, "I'm in, let's do it." Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, and because it's it's cool, man. It it makes us feel a part of the community, it makes us feel, um, uh, like a big part of it. So, well, I mean, the biggest part of that is it, it's it's rewarding, of course, when you're successful. But when you when you create that ownership and you're not successful and you fail, it's so much easier to land on people, and that that'll lift you back up. Because if not, you're only going to get, no matter who you are, you can only get knocked down so many times before you say, screw it, let's just go do something else. Yeah. Because it could be, I mean, you get to a certain point in life, it doesn't take a whole lot of money to just go live on a riverboat and fish all day or <laughs> go to an ocean and, and just beach it up or something. So to, to try to build something and drive something takes an extraordinary amount of energy, more energy than one person has. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a ton of people around you to help push you and then feed off of Hey, you've done you've done equally just as well with with your gym and and you've got 250 of us now that have taken ownership and it's a community and I love that video that Shane Nunling just mm. did with you. It was, yeah, that was, that was super awesome. impressive too. Um, and that's what we need to do at this town is everyone take take ownership. This is it's our home. It's our hometown. We're all proud of it, or at least we want to be proud of it. And um, if we can get everyone energized to take, take ownership and like you guys have your own businesses, will be super successful. So I'm going to go ahead and put this on the podcast. That way I know we'll do it. Mm-hmm. Is uh, We're doing Glocktoberfest. <laughs> oh. We're doing Glocktoberfest. We're, stay tuned. We're going to pick a Saturday in October. Tim's going to get a hold of, of uh, a couple breweries. They're going to come down. We're going to have, I don't know, anywhere from 8 to 10 different local breweries. Um we're even kicking around an idea like we're gonna pair a, a brewery with like a classic car, um, oh, just cool. just as like a cool. Uh, this is like behind the scenes. Yeah, here. yeah. So Breaking this, news. So this is this is one of those ideas we're floating around on the on the group text. Um, call it Glocktoberfest. You can come down on a Saturday, and uh, if we can get a you know get a stage, get a if uh, my homie Jesse from Rich TV, <laughs> I'm throwing him out on this now. If we can get like rent a big uh, rent a big big screen, figure out a good high state game, come down. We'll block off Court Street. I uh, have a portion of the proceeds go to Team SAR. You guys can kind of sample around uh, a different breweries Oktoberfest beers. Um, go inside, grab a burger, watch a football game, and uh, just kind of have a good time. <coughs> well, you, you said block off Court Street, but what we what we may even evolve to is. Is just because Patties and Pints is on Court Street. Patties and Pints is a part of Bony Fiddle. So if we can, if we can start expanding these things throughout Bony Fiddle, whether it be Market Street, whether it be Front Street, that would be cool as well. So yeah. Court Street works, but I mean Market Street could be just as well. 
What do you think about bench press competition, maybe? (laughs) Oh, bring it out into the streets? Yeah. I love it. By body weight, of course. (laughs) We have have different classes. I'm in. (laughs) I'll be a judge. (laughs) Tim, I believe in you, buddy. I believe in you. Let's do it. Number five, keep score, Tim. Keep racking it up there. All right? Cool. Good. Thank you so much, Tim, for being here. Um, You guys as well, Joe, Cindy, Tim, Dale. We'll see you guys next week. Sweet. Peace. Spotlight to shine on me. What I got, I didn't get for free. I broke my back and skinned my knees. Working hard just to stay alive. I don't need much, just enough to survive. Make a dollar